There we go. Well, welcome to another in our series, Growing in Christ. It's great you can be here today. And uh, you did hear before there as an announcement um, uh, about uh, a youth meeting after the service today. And, uh, of course, we're wanting uh, young kids, we're wanting teenagers, we're wanting adults to all be growing in Christ. And um, if uh, so... uh, Every teenager, all the teenagers here, do come and meet with me in the library about 10 minutes after the service. So all teenagers, it'd be great to have all of you there. And any parents who want to come, do come as well. So about 10 minutes after the service in the library. Well, uh, today our topic is assurance of forgiveness. Assurance of forgiveness, part four. And our key scripture this week is this one. 1 John 1.9, it says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Great scripture. Great scripture to memorize. Let me um, ask a few questions about it. What does God want you to do about your sins? Well, we learn from that scripture, confess them. In his act of forgiving us, how is God described? Faithful and just. What else does God do when you confess your sins? Well, he purifies us. From all unrighteousness. That's a beautiful phrase, that, isn't it? Purifies us from all unrighteousness. Well, let me start to unpack the verse. The first phrase, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins. Now, what does it mean to confess our sins? Well, it means to own up. And so it's a, it's a thing you do in prayer, and you simply acknowledge before God, you know, um, something that you, you've, you've come to realize, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done that. You know, that, that's not in keeping with, with the Lord's principles. You own up to it. You tell him about it. You confess it, as it says in that scripture. Um, You know, I've met met any Christians that have ever said this, but I have met some unchurched people that would say, I don't have any sin in my life. And they're they're quite confident about that. What do the scriptures say about that? Let's have a look. 1 John 1.8. We'll read the verse in context. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to be without, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And so here Jesus' closest friend records um, words that were influenced um, by by the Holy Spirit there and he, he writes, no, everyone sins. Everyone has shortcomings. And he also adds in his documents, only Jesus is perfect. Only Jesus is sinless. All other people have fallen short of God's standard. I wonder what our attitude should be towards sin. Well, David writes these words, and certainly David knew what it was to fall to sin. Psalm 139, 23. David says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Ever had anxious thoughts? See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David here says before God, Lord, come, search me. I don't know if there's something in my heart you need to deal with. You come in. You search me, Lord. It says in Psalm 38, verse 18, I confess my iniquities. I am troubled by my sin. And that's the right attitude, to be troubled by sin. Not blasé about it or not nonchalant about it, 
But yeah, we're troubled by it. Goes on to say this. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So what should accompany our confession of sin? Well, according to that scripture, it says we need to renounce our sins. That's a verbal thing. You know, we're saying to God in the journey of confession, where we're saying, Lord, you know, this is, this is an issue. I've, I've fallen here. I've failed here. But then we're actually saying to renounce them. We're saying, Lord, help me stop this. You know, I plan to not do this anymore or say this anymore or feel this anymore or whatever. We read in the book of Acts, Acts 2.38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here Peter, um, in the day of Pentecost, he's speaking to a huge crowd of people, many thousands of them, and, and he says to the people that you need to repent and you need to be baptized. He's already called them to believe in Jesus. And, uh, and of course, by the way, baptism is an important thing. If you haven't been baptized, it'd be great to consider that. That's a public stand before Jesus to say, hey, I've committed to be his follower. And, and Peter, when he's preaching that day, if it actually says 3,000 people choose to believe in Jesus, and they're actually all baptized that very day. So it's not a long journey, it's not a long process. Rather, if you've chosen to believe, you should be baptized. It's a public commitment to say, God, I'm, I'm your follower. Jesus, I genuinely believe in you. I believe in you enough to say, yeah, publicly. I don't care if everyone knows. In fact, I want them to know. I'm going to be baptized to prove that. Well, the second point here is really repentance. What is repentance? So to accompany confession of sin is also repentance. Um, often define repentance like this. It's a change of heart, change of mind, change of direction. So the person who is, say, walking in this direction, doing their own thing, doing someone else's thing, whatever, to repent is to turn around and do Jesus' thing, to walk in his direction, to follow him, to do what he desires. So three things there, friends. A, confess, B, renounce, C, repent. Confess, renounce, repent. But why does God have all these rules? Man, it's crazy. I don't know how many talks I've had with unchurched people. So you guys have all these rules. It's just ridiculous. All these rules, rules after rules after rules, you know. Doesn't it restrict all your freedom? How do you you live with that? I remember uh, some years ago talking with a bunch of teenagers and um, I... uh, Talking about sport at school, you know. I can still remember at primary school, we, um, in winter, we always seemed to get together on the lunch break to play soccer, and in summer, we'd get together and play cricket. Now, sometimes, in soccer particularly, one of the teams would start cheating all the time. And I asked the high school kids, have you ever had that experience? They said, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've had that. Did you enjoy the game more when one of the teams was cheating? They said, no, no, it spoiled it, just wrecked it. The truth is, just as um, you need some parameters and guides and some rules for, for an enjoyable game of sport, you do for life. Jesus um, hasn't made rules to make life terrible or restricted or difficult, or, but rather he's actually set some parameters in place because he wants this world to be a better place and he wants your life to be a better life. So when, when um, the scriptures teach, you shall not murder It wasn't to spoil our fun. It was actually to make this world a better place. 
Now, all of us have a natural tendency towards some areas of sin. And yes, we, it's true. We, we are born that way. We have natural tendencies towards some areas of sin. Some people have a tendency towards violence. And uh, you see this in high schools. One lad smacks around a couple of other lads that are not as tough as him, and he feels a lot better after it. He enjoys that. That's a lot of fun, smacking people around. And that's his natural tendency. makes him feel better. But does that make it right? Just because it makes me feel better doesn't mean it's appropriate behaviour. And we're living in a society today that leans more and more towards if it feels good, then sure, it's right. Let me tell you the story of Jackie Hill Perry. She's a uh, poet, writer and hip-hop artist. Here she is. When Jackie was growing up as a little bubba, her dad left. And so she didn't grow up with a father and she felt that sense of abandonment even when she was little. She had natural tendencies towards feeling like she wanted to be a boy and she started to exhibit and insist on lots of boy behaviour. In fact, when she was four years old, she insisted she did not want to sit down on the toilet. She would stand up like a boy and wee that way. Imagine the mess she made. (laughs) Something very sad happened to her when she was five years old. A teenage boy sexually abused her. And this devastating experience was something she, she didn't know it was wrong, she said. She just knew you could not talk about it. And um, this had an effect on her and it deepened her sense of males are awful. And she said that um, it also seemed to stir up something in her that made her very sexual, even though she was just five years old. She started sneaking out when her mum was asleep to cable TV and watching pornography. And she said of herself that she became more and more perverted. Just at kinder and grade one, grade two, she said she started touching on little girls. That's her word, touching on little girls. By the time she was 14, she had a full-blown lesbian relationship and she became known in the high school, uh, so kind of a, a gay term, but she came, became known as a stud. And so she was the butch female that so many of these uh, pretty girls that had um, same-sex attraction desperately wanted to go out with her. Became a little bit of an icon. She was already going to gay clubs despite being so young. Of course, she's supposed to be 18, but she'd whack all the makeup on and everything and she'd get through and um, loved, you know, gay pride marches and all that sort of thing. She had heard a little bit about God at Sunday school, did a little bit of Sunday school, and she'd heard that God loved her. But she also knew God was the judge, and she felt she could not even talk to God. But when she was 19, she got invited to an event And something extraordinary happened. A very relevant, very carefully presented gospel message was shared and something extraordinary happened where suddenly truths came into her heart and mind 
and the Holy Spirit became a part of her life. She was transformed. And she said immediately, there were shifts in her life. And um, in the journey of all of this, as she read the teachings of Jesus, she found them influencing her. She distinctly remembers and she shares this publicly in one of her many vibrant poems. One she titles, My Life as a Stud. And one of the lines in the poem, she says, One day the Lord spoke to me. He said, she will be the death of you. And she shares that that moment where that, that scripture, the wages of sinners' death, was like a lightning bolt in her mind. It brought it to life. And she said, okay, I'm breaking up from my girlfriend. She uh, joined a group called, um, let me find it, the, the Spoken Word. It's kind of a performing arts group, Christian performing arts group. Very, very creative. And she loved doing all that and she met a guy there called Preston. Preston also had a pretty wild testimony. She was convinced all men are not consistent, not loving, not compassionate, not sensitive and not intentional. Her opinion of men had not changed at all in her journey of coming to faith in Jesus. But she said as she got to know Preston. With all those feelings of abandonment by her dad, all those, that horrible experience she had when she was a little girl from that teenage boy, she said, I'm meeting this guy, getting to know this guy. And you see, he was the opposite. He was consistent. He was loving. He was compassionate. He was sensitive. He was intentional. And the more I got to know him, the more, I guess, a lot of my thoughts and feelings towards men started to shift. And we started going out, she shares. And in the journey of all that, of course, I'm, I'm pretty broken, and not that he's not either. But one night we'd done this big performance and I was not in a good place and I was very, very angry and I just told him off, yelled at him, screamed at him and said a whole lot of very, very nasty things including, I don't know why I'm even with you. I like women. I don't like men. She said the next day she started to get texts from him and she thought they'd be angry, aggressive, or at least defensive. But she said it was nothing like that. He was texting things like, love you so much. You're so amazing. Can't wait to see you again. And she said every text she read was just filled with love. And she thought, oh, my goodness, he just loves me unconditionally no matter what I say or what I do. He just loves me. She's crying as she reads them. And she thought, you know what? Preston, Preston's like Jesus. He loves me unconditionally. And through sobs and tears, she feels to herself, how can I not marry this man? Well, they did. They married. Let's have a look at this shot. Here they are with their two kids. 
pretty cute family, aren't they? <laughs> Oh, in 2014, they got married and uh, have a lovely relationship. Jackie writes these words. She says, The word of God itself, apart from Jackie Hill, testifies that people can change. So if the word of God is the word of God, then we need to deal with that and believe that it's true. I think we've made God very little if we believe he cannot change people. If he can make the moon, the stars, and a galaxy that we've not fully comprehended. How can he not simply change my desires? And she would say, that's what happened for her. She would say, my desires started to match the teachings of Jesus. Another portion of the verse we're looking at today Second portion is, uh, it says this, he is faithful and just. Referring to God, he is faithful and just and will forgive and purify. Wow. It says in Psalm 86.5, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. And although most of you here will be Christians, but that idea that God loves you, we can't say it enough. We struggle to fully believe it, to accept it, to perhaps even comprehend it, but he does. He loves us in an incredible way. I remember this came out actually at um, Alpha the, uh, last night, uh, last, sorry, last Tuesday. But we're, we were talking about, because Nikki gave one of the exhilarations, or actually it was his wife, gave an illustration about when she had her first little baby and how much love she felt for that little child, which she said is really good because crying all night. It was really hard sometimes. But I can still remember that myself, my first child, Evangeline. Tiny little thing, laying on my tummy, you know, three weeks old, four weeks old, you know. And I remember that incredible sense of love with this little thing. Just loved it a bit, just loved it so much. And I felt God speak to me. My child, that's how I feel about you. And that's what we have to realise. God loves us far more than we can even comprehend. Now, his basis on forgiveness is love, but it's also achievable because of what he did on the cross. Let's read these words. It says here in Ephesians, just in your mind, 1-7, cast your eyes over it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Because of his work on the cross, we have redemption, that that. That word there is, it refers to buying out of slavery. It used to be um, that uh, slavery, say, for instance, in the Old Testament, where someone was a slave, they were owned by the slave master or the, the person who owned the estate. But someone could come and pay for that slave and then say, I'm setting you free. I've paid for you. You're free. That's what Jesus did on the cross. We're no longer a slave to the consequences of sin. Hebrews 10.12 says this, But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now that priest is referring to Jesus. Now remember the pattern in the Old Testament. They would bring a perfect lamb without blemish and it would be sacrificed. The priest would sacrifice as an atonement for sin. Well here Jesus is saying, I am the high priest but I am also the sacrifice. And he himself gives up his life. He has died in our place. He has paid the price. He is the sacrifice to make all of this relational reality possible, to make 
the forgiveness of sin possible. Look at this in Hebrews 10, 17. It's a little bit later in the same passage. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Think of the power of that. Talking about bullies at school before. I'm going to look back and think, man, what a horrible bully I was. That was was awful the way I treated other kids. You confess that? Jesus, I don't remember it anymore. This morning you think, oh, man, I was just really horrible to my husband a week ago. Said some really nasty, ugly things. You confess that? God says, I don't remember that anymore. It's like when you could write up your sins on a whiteboard. Write them all up there. If you confess them, it's like Jesus takes out a rubber. They're gone. He doesn't remember them anymore. Shall we read this verse together? 1 John 1.9. I'm going to count to three. And if I was to say four, that's where we'll start. We'll read it slowly. One, two, three. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Endeavor to memorize it. It's great to have that verse in your mind. You know, it tells us in um, Psalm 107.14, He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let me make this suggestion. Confession of your failings can break the chains of sin. Confession of your failings can break the chains of sin. Shane Taylor typically illustrates the reality of this. Shane's a British lad. And when he was at high school, he wanted respect. And the way he got respect was by being tough. And he was tough. Mess with him, you'd be smacked around. As a young bloke, He got into some serious crime, pinching cars, burglary, and he was rapidly rising as one of the most dangerous young criminals in Britain. Had a big belt of knives, all sorts of knives, big knives, small knives, you name it. He loved knives, and he was quite prepared to use them. Got into a couple of fights. One guy stabbed him straight in the head, just about killed him. Another fight. Endeavours to stab a guy in the heart, just misses his heart, almost killed him. He's now one of the two attempted murders. But as he would say about himself, I had a natural tendency towards violence. I'm an angry person and I feel better after I've exercised that anger. I can't help it, just the way I am. Well... Eventually, the authorities caught up with him, and he is in prison. In prison, he just said, oh, I just hate the system. I just hate this whole system. Hated the guards. And one time, because of bad behavior, he was disciplined. He loved going to the gym. They'd get an hour of gym each day, but they could take that off them. 
So I went by it. So he missed out on Jim. He was furious. Managed to get a knife. Don't know how he did it, but he could seem to get a knife no matter where he was. Stabbed a guard three times and another guard once. He's then put into a maximum security prison, high level. Still broke the rules. And so then he'd be put in solitary confinement where he'd just be fed through a little patch. It's the only human contact he would get. So he oscillated. His life, that's what, that was his life for several years, in and out of those scenarios. Always in prison, just different levels of prison. Well, one time when he was behaving himself a little better, there was news that there would be a course offered to the prisoners. It was called the Alpha Course. So he thought he'd go along. He went along and they started the session. He was like, oh, it's a Christian thing. But he kept going because he loved the chocolate biscuits. <laughs> and he said, I just argue with them, you know? You know, science has proved the Bible is a load of crap. You know, you nutcases, you believe in this rubbish. Well, he went right through. And on the Holy Spirit Day, Bob, for any of you attending Alpha, by the way, it's probably going to be the 1st of April, Saturday, except that's where we're leaning, Holy Spirit Day here at the church. He went to the Holy Spirit Day and he saw some of his fellow prisoners touched by God. Saw tears in their eyes. He thought, a little thought went up in his mind. Could God do that to me? Well, nothing happened. The course finished. And the guy running the course comes and has a chat with him. Shane, I just feel I just feel I need to spend a little bit of time with you. I know the course is finished. And he says to Shane, Look, Jesus' work on the cross you've heard about. Doesn't matter what you've done, Shane. He can forgive you. You confess your sins. He's faithful. He's just. He'll forgive you of all your sins and purify you from. Any unrighteousness. He died for you. And after chatting with him, he prays for him and then he says to Shane, Shane, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray? I've actually uh, watched Shane speak at Holy Trinity Brompton where he shares his testimony in depth. He said these words in the prayer. God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am and who I've become. And he said initially nothing happened. But within moments, he felt something. All this emotion stirring and churning and building up in his heart. And then he said something extraordinary happened. He's not a crier. He burst into tears and he was weeping uncontrollably. And he said, at that moment, God came in. God came in. And what was so remarkable is all of my natural tendencies towards anger and violence, they just started to lift. I loved my fellow prisoners. 
I couldn't believe it. I felt love and compassion towards the guards. And then there was um, an opportunity where Alpha was being ran and um, they wanted prisoners who are in prison to support the cause, help with the cause. And, of course, he said, oh, I'm happy to. The prison that he'd been kicked out of to go to a maximum security prison where he'd stabbed the two guards were the first to have him and the Alpha team come out. He said, I couldn't believe it. Thought they'd be the last people to have me back. Well, he started helping with Alpha courses and because of good behaviour, he was released early. And um, I, I know a guy who, who knows him personally. He's friends with him, actually. And he told me all this kind of story, everything he shares live is just totally him. Well, he, he goes, uh, he gets, often gets invited to speak at churches, but not just churches, all sorts of different secular events as well. Shares his story. And he says, as I share my story, I never leave it at, oh, you know, I changed. I leave it at, well, the only, only reason I changed because I believed in Jesus and he came into my life and it was he who changed me. Shares that in all the secular events as well. He's happily married now, five kids. Confessions of his failings broke the chains of sin that bound him. Have a look at the scripture again. Psalm 107, verse 14. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. I want a day, you know, you might have a friend and you're thinking, mate, you might have a friend a bit like Shane or a bit like Jackie. You might not rough it with people like that, but I've actually known a lot of criminals over the years, serious criminals, murderers even. Um, you might have a friend, you might have a family member, whatever the issue is, more extreme like these ones or more minor, but you might think, oh, wouldn't it be great? if the chains of sin was broken in their life. Wouldn't that be great? There might be something in your life that you think, may it be great to see that chain broken in my life. Well, I'm going to open up the altar here and give you a chance to come forward for prayer. Sue's going to help me. Anyone like prayer this morning? We'd love to see some chains broken in Jesus' name. Well, as the worship team returns, I'm going to pray. And then in, we're going to sing some worship songs, so just join us for worship. But as, if you feel led, come forward. Let's set people free. Your friend, your relative, or it might be you. God, this morning, his heart is to set people free. Breaking chains. Shall we pray? Let's be upstanding as I pray. Father, here this morning... We think of the powerful reality of your word. Your scriptures have taught. Your scriptures have taught. That you love us. You loved us enough to die for us. And because of your work on the cross, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I want to pray for those truths to sink deep into people's hearts this morning in the name of Jesus.
And I pray this morning, that Father, that um, revelation would be happening in our minds. Powerful truths that transform people that we've been hearing about this morning. Those powerful truths will be deep within our minds and hearts. Your work will be taking place. Your transforming power, the power of your spirits. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.